This is Recovery Revolution Live. The episode you're about to listen to is live and unedited. If you'd like to join us on the live stream, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube. Facebook.com slash Recovery Revolution 100 or search Recovery Revolution Live on YouTube. And we're live. Hello, hello. Good evening, everybody. Jason, Ashley, good to see you guys again. Glad to be back on the live stream after missing a week. Yeah, slacker. <laughs> I did go back and rewatch the episode though, and I, I was like, oh man, they're they're saying so many nice things about me. I felt I felt the love. We love you. We didn't say anything mean and nasty, did we? No, you said nice things. Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> 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 no, you guys are talking about how much you miss me, and you're like, oh man, I wish Brett was here to push the buttons. We don't yeah, know what to do. And meet Charles. Yeah, and meet Charles. I I will meet Charles one day. Yes, it's on my bucket list. <laughs> right on. All we right, got a well, special guest, Ty. Yeah. What's up, Ty? What's up, everybody? Uh, special guest. Now the pressure's on. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate that. <laughs> you are welcome, good sir. <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little about yourself and why you wanted to come on the podcast? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm out in Seattle, Washington. Um, you know, as as you probably can guess, I'm a person in recovery, and um, you know, I I don't know if there's particularly anything special about my story. Quite frankly, I've got the same story that a lot of people in recovery had. Um, is, am I allowed to cuss on this podcast? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> had some shit, lost some shit, gotten shit, and then I ended up in recovery. You know, um, and that's kind of the story for for most of us. I'm. Uh, uh, I was once lucky enough to be a fairly successful corporate sales guy, um, making a bunch of money back in the mid 2000s, but was uh, living a double life because I was also a crack addict. Uh, mm. So by day I was, you know, walking through nice offices and talking to nice people and nice clothes. And by night I was using a different name and running the streets and drinking a bunch and smoking a bunch of crack. And um, I actually just kind of thought, quite frankly, that I was just a partier. Uh, and didn't really know I had a problem with drugs until one of my drug dealers said that he was worried about me, uh, <laughs> which actually happened. Um, and so, you know, that was kind of the first sign that something might be wrong. But, you know, there was a bunch of other stuff, too. Right. I was. Uh, yeah, my professional life was going really well and I was making a bunch of money, but my personal life was an absolute wreck. Um, my wife at the time was being put through hell. My stepdaughter at the time you know, I was pretty much an absentee stepdad, but uh, was kind of able to justify all that in my mind because I was bringing home a big paycheck. But in 2008, the Great Recession hit and then the big paycheck disappeared. And uh, eventually the wife and the stepdaughter disappeared too, not because I lost the big paycheck, but you know, frankly, because my wife just kind of did what she should have done a long time ago. She left my ass. Um, and that was the best decision for her to make. She, uh, again, she should have done it way before she did. But that kind of started for me a period that I often call a slow motion train wreck over the next few years i kind of still worked and i had some you know really moderate level of success but the alcohol and the drugs were just really kind of taking a toll and now i did do manage to do something kind of successful in 2012 it wasn't the smartest thing but uh it was incredibly effective i managed to quit crack by switching to meth <laughs> so uh again 
not that smart, but incredibly effective uh, because, you know, I stopped smoking crack right right away. But, um, <laughs> you know, the next couple of years, things got, you know, kind of they got pretty bad. I you know, lost. You know, I wasn't able to keep a job, so I was unemployed. I got evicted from a place I was in. So I became truly homeless and was on the streets of Seattle with a backpack on my back and frankly was kind of comfortable with it because I'd been living a double life for so long that frankly, the daytime life and holding a job was really getting in the way of me doing drugs. So um, I was kind of relieved to be on the street for a while. You know, I was on the, I became homeless during summer. So when you're homeless during the summer in Seattle, it's like camping. But when you're standing on the street in February and you're getting rained on and it's 40 degrees outside, it sucks. So, you know, the first few months were okay. After that, it got pretty hard. And over the next couple of years, I'd go through a bunch of stuff. I would uh, have a failed stint in rehab. I'd be committed to a mental institution. I would be in and out of jail and convicted, you know, multiple times and uh, would also be lucky enough to survive a couple of suicide attempts. And when I got sober or entered recovery in 2016, um, you know, frankly, I was kind of terrified because I had no idea what life was going to look like without drugs and alcohol. But um, I wasn't I don't know that I fully appreciated how hard it would be to get back to work because, um, you know, I, as I mentioned, I've been really lucky in employment. I've been lucky in education too. I've got an MBA from the university of Washington. I interview pretty well, but because of all the criminal convictions I had, the only job I was able to get was part-time as a janitor. And that's not because that was the only job I applied for is the only job that I could get. Um, and so as I kind of progressed in my sobriety, which was not a straight line, I experienced, you know, several relapses and, you know, now have been continuously sober, uh, since January of 2019. But, um, I had to work really hard to put my employment life back together. And that was kind of the inspiration for what I do today, which is, uh, run a small nonprofit that helps people that are in recovery from addiction, homelessness, and past criminal justice involvement, find and keep work. Feel really honored to do that work. Um, you know, feel really lucky to do that work. Quite frankly, uh, all the services that I provide for individuals and, and career coaching is all you know no cost because a lot of people gave stuff to me for free when I was putting my life back together. So, frankly, it doesn't feel right to charge people. I know people who do charge people, but that model just doesn't feel right to me. So, um, you know, just trying to help people as best I can. Family life's great. In a great relationship with somebody who's also in recovery. Um, work life is fantastic and, uh, you know, life is pretty, it's pretty good these days. It is. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. There's hope. We can always turn it around. Like resiliency is a thing that a lot of people don't think that they have and mm. everybody has it. It's an innate quality of all human beings. We have resiliency, so we can bounce back. We can. Well, yeah. And you know, the thing that, um, a lot of people who are, you know, a lot of what I talk about is from, you know, obviously from like an employment standpoint, because that's what I'm, that's what I'm in every single day. You know, people who are, especially in early recovery, don't realize like the amount of job skills they actually have. Um, you know, one of the, one of the best salespeople I've ever met was uh, what I will affectionately call a freelance community-based uh, pharmaceutical distributor. <laughs> uh, right. Because you know, he's got he's got he's got customer service skills and he's got negotiation skills and he's got some inventory skills and he's got people skills. Right. Yeah. So, though, you know, the skills that we use, I call them survival skills, the skills that we use to survive what we were going through before. 
um, actually, if they're directed in the right way, can actually serve us really, really well in the workplace. And so I spend a lot of time explaining that not only to people who are in recovery because they don't realize that all the time, but also explaining it to employers. You know, wouldn't you want an employee who is uh, who works really well in ambiguous situations and is kind of flexible and creative? Because you got to be creative as hell to wake up in the morning with no money and no dope in your pocket and go to sleep high. Right. So, I mean, wouldn't you maybe you don't want them high, but you want somebody that's got that level of flexibility to be able to you know, deal with things that come up in your company. And right. it, it's a weird way to kind of think about it, but it's 100 percent true. I mean, like you said, we're some of the most resilient and creative people in the world. Well, I always I always liken it to this, you know, like we addicts and hustlers, you know, drug dealers like they they have so many skills, dude, and they. You know, they hustle harder, they work harder, every single thing they do, they do like 200%, you know, and like you said, if you can harness those addictive traits into positive things, they're very useful. (laughs) Yeah, you know, people say, uh, I, I hear people say all the time, oh, you know, those homeless people are so lazy, they should get a job. And I always tell them, being homeless and unemployed is the hardest job I ever had. There are no days off. There's no PTO. There's no weekends. Every day is a hustle and a grind. So, you know, somebody who is that you want somebody that's willing to work hard. Well, you know, I mean, hell, having a job is like a vacation from being on the street for me, at least. Yeah. Absolutely. I saw somebody put in the chat that they're having trouble going through finding a job with their record. Uh, You should connect with me. I'd be happy to help you for absolutely free. We should talk. That gets a that gets a ding. I'll drop my uh, I'll drop my contact info in the chat. Yeah, that's your purpose now. That's your passion. That's awesome. You know, you had isn't that funny how when you know you had an issue and you had to fix it, and then you know you found your way to the other side of that, and then now you're like, I can teach people this, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been um, it is truly a blessing. Uh, how do I drop a comment? Uh, it should be over there on the right-hand side of your I see screen. it on the right. I see private chat and I see comments, but I don't see a place where I can put in a comment. Yeah, you should be able to on the comment section, I believe. That's, all, that's only if you're uh, like admin oh, user. Oh, I didn't realize so, that. So, so here's what you chat. do. Here's what I'll you drop do. Private chat. Yep. You can open your phone and but turn it down first turn the media down all the way he just put it in the private chat i'll just copy and paste it over there that works but then but then yeah you can you can add comments on during the live stream on youtube or facebook dude just uh mute your phone first (laughs) right no i don't uh somebody just asked me a question i don't have work clothes hygiene packs etc however uh, I'm sure there's resources. I'm in Washington state. I'm sure there's resources that I could help direct you to in your state, uh, that would help you get that stuff. Usually it is the, um, in the workforce development system in Washington state, we call that work source, which is where job seekers go in order to connect with resources to help them find work. So like work clothes, bus pass to get to work. If you don't have a vehicle or a gas card, if you got to put gas in your car, stuff like that. So yeah, we should talk, let's see if we can find you a solution. Sorry, my internet cut out, but what I was going to say towards what you said is I just talked to ABC 
like, you know, builders and contractors last week. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I told them was kind of what you were saying is, you know, first off, you know, construction is one of the biggest employers of people with a record or people, you know, in recovery. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I told them, so you can have two people, you have somebody telling you what their weaknesses are, telling you they're in recovery, telling you about their past, or you can have somebody else that has a perfect record that you have no idea what their flaws are, what they've struggled with, because everybody has stuff. They've just never been caught with whatever their stuff is. So I said, you can have somebody being upfront and honest about what their struggles are and you know what to watch for. Or you can have somebody that you have no idea what their flaws are. No one's perfect. And I said, imagine somebody coming and applying for a job. And I was like, think about this. Your biggest secret shame, the worst thing you've ever done, write it on a piece of paper. Now think about giving it to the person next to you every time you want to better your life for the rest of your life. Yeah. And they were like, like, that's what they have to do when they tell you on a piece of paper about their record. I said, they're still showing up and still trying to get a job. To me, that should be enough. Like, they're showing up trying to better their life. Like, give them a chance. Yeah. Well, and- yeah. And the thing that um, that a lot of employers think is that if they're given an opportunity, you know, second chance employees, second chance hires, you know, whatever. If you're giving somebody a shot who maybe has had uh, what I sometimes call a unique background, uh, then... Um, you know, they think that it's charity, but it's not. You know, this is, um, I think, the, one of the most important messages is that this is an equal exchange of value. This is not a handout. You're hiring somebody that's qualified to do the work. They just happen to have some things in their background, right? And so um, what can you do to try to figure out who that person is today? Because the problem that, um, you know, the process for people who are you know, like me, who have criminal record, who kind of go through trying to find a job, the process looks exactly the same. No matter, I talk to clients all across the country. It looks exactly the same. I sent in my resume. I got an interview. I did pretty well in the interview. They said they liked me. They kind of wanted to offer me a job, but they said all I do is pass the background check. They run the background mm-hmm. check. They see I got some stuff in my background. And now the conversation changes because we're not talking about the resume. We're not talking about the job. We're talking about my background. And so the problem with background checks and with most companies is that everything they do looks backwards. It doesn't talk. They don't ask any question about what's going on in somebody's life today. Right. So, you know, yeah, maybe a year ago I was homeless on the street, but since then, you know, I've gotten in recovery. I work with a sponsor. I've been working this part-time job. Here's a letter of recommendation. I've reconnected with my family. They don't ask any questions about what's going on today to let them know who I am today versus who I used to be. Because who I used to be kind of sucked, right? But who I am today is pretty good. I'm actually pretty proud of the progress I've made and I'm putting in the work and I just need somebody to give me an opportunity an opportunity that I actually deserve, right? Because I'm qualified. And if you hire me, I'm going to be pretty loyal because, uh, you know, I got things to prove and I've been turned down, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, you should give me a shot. The other thing is this, there's tax benefits. If you have a substance use disorder, you have an ADA disability, which they get tax breaks for hiring people. There's also, there's protections federally bonded if you hire higher higher risk employees that if there's something that happens, it'll protect you. Like, it's not really a risk if the person's qualified and they prove themselves like it's not the risk people think it is. Well, yeah, I was going to say I hesitate to say it's not a risk because there's a risk in hiring any employee, right? Whether they got right. a background or they don't have a background, right? right. So, But there are certainly some ways that employers can uh, lower their risk in hiring. 
um, I pretty regularly stand on stages and I talk to you know HR people and employers about uh, you know how to do this thing. And inevitably, somebody raises their hand and says, "Well, you know what you're saying sounds great, but we tried to hire somebody that had a criminal record a couple of years ago, and they stole from us, and they did this." And my question always is, "What process did you use?" And they said, "Well, it's on a case by case basis." Okay, well, every person you hire is on a case by case basis. So what you just told me is you have no process. Okay, that's been established. Uh, now let's see what we can do about that. So, you know, do you ask people, do you actually take a look at what people have been doing lately in their lives? Do you check to see if they have a letter of recommendation? Do you, I mean, what are these things that you can do? There are things that you can do to kind of confirm that the person in front of you is somebody that's worthy of a shot or that the person in front of you is somebody who maybe isn't worthy of a shot. Um, you know, if somebody is now, everybody deserves to work if they, they they've served their time. So don't get me wrong. But there are some industries where it just doesn't make sense. If somebody just had a, a theft conviction six months ago, you probably shouldn't hire them as your accountant. I'm just saying. Um, but that same person might be good in the warehouse. They might be good in sales. They might be good in admin where they don't have access to funds. So it doesn't mean that they can't have some job. It's just got to be the right job for the right person. That's all. Yeah, I agree. And, I, you know, having something to work towards to work to build your credibility and to, to build trust, you know, like in my active use, like, you know, I, I might not have an extensive background or, or something that's a barrier today, but I was a crappy person. Like I wouldn't have wanted me to work for me or, you know, like, so when I got into recovery, I knew those bridges I had to fix and worked harder and took things that, you know, jobs that were under me because I wanted to prove myself. So I had no problem, you know, even yeah. to this day, I don't want the company credit card. I didn't steal from anybody or do anything, but I, I don't know if, what if I went back to active use? What if I did? I, I just don't know that I trust myself yet, which is, yeah. I know silly, but it's. Well, I, it's I, really I, not though. It's not silly. Cause I mean, I think we all have to, you know, make, we have to come to peace with our past and then be able to move forward. And like, I mean, service was the big thing for me, right? Like the best way to build self-esteem is through esteemable actions. I had to build a new track record because like you, I was like, dude, I, I didn't know if I could sustain this. I didn't know if I could trust myself yeah. in a lot of situations for the first few years, you know, before I was like, starting to really feel like I was confident in myself and, you know, so it takes time. Well, and you both actually just pointed out um, something really, really important. And so, so often, you know, I don't know about you, but I remember when I, when I you know, started in recovery, I was in a hurry to like get everything back. Right. I felt like I'd wasted so much of my life on drugs and alcohol that I just want to, I want to have everything back today, today, today. And that's a really natural way to feel. But you know, what I spend a lot of time um, talking to clients about is exactly that thing that you both kind of talked about, which is kind of taking it slow, maybe taking some jobs that um, maybe you're overqualified for in the beginning, just to kind of get your feet wet and working again and to get used to being in recovery. Because I'll tell you, I don't know about you, but for me, having a job and being sober, it was a whole that was like a game changer. I mean, making money legal and actually getting a paycheck and not having to look over my shoulder and trying to balance working part time at this janitor job with my 12 step meetings and then like personal counseling. I mean, it was it was a lot of stuff to manage. And um, I had some relapses early on, but 
because I because I was basically working a job that if I lost it because I, I returned to use, that it wasn't a big deal, there wasn't any pressure. If I'd had some job where I was making like a whole bunch of money right away and I was working 40 or 60 hours a week, that would have been really tough for somebody like me because the stress of the job, stress was a big trigger for me, right? And so I spend a lot of time encouraging people like, the first thing you should, it's very easy. I call it an ABC system. The A is the first thing you should do is get any damn job you can get. Doesn't matter where it is. Doesn't matter what you're doing. You do that long enough, that leads to be a better job, which yeah. could be on the way to a career, which is C, the career. And so you work this kind of crappy job you don't like to get some money in your pocket and get used to being in sobriety and working for a little while, six months to a year, maybe. Then you move on to something better that pays a little more money, gives a little more responsibility. You get to learn a few more things. You learn some more things on that job. Maybe you stayed it for a year to three years like I did with my better job. And then you finally move on to what your career is. But it gives you a chance to get used to the, I guess, graduated responsibility, graduated levels of stress and graduated income. Because I'll tell you, if I'd gotten a job right at the gate where I was making like 50 or 60 grand, I probably would have relapsed within a month because I had all that money in my pocket and nothing to do with it. So I love that ABCs, though. That's so awesome, dude. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> Appreciate it. Any old damn job. Any damn job. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Anything. Anything to, you know, idle hands or the devil's hands, right? Anything. Super. And you know, plus, you know, having work, it builds self-esteem. So how do, you explain, how do you explain gaps in your employment due to act, active addiction? Oh, I love this question. I love this question. So I'm going to give you two scenarios. Uh, the first one, if you don't have a criminal record, this is actually super easy. So um, by law, Employers cannot ask you about any medical history that you don't disclose. And so a, a beautiful explanation to provide it when they say, you know, why do you have this job gap in your resume? I was out of the workforce for a period of time with a health issue. I'm now healthy and ready to return to work. So I like this for a couple of reasons. Number one, 100 percent true. Number two, they can't ask you anything else. So it's true because obviously mental health issues, substance use issues are those are, you know, obviously health issues, right? The second part is once you, you phrase it that way, they can't legally ask you anything about it. Now, if the job has some sort of physical component, like you got to be on your feet for eight hours a day, or you have to be able to lift at least a certain amount of weight, they can ask you if you can fulfill the physical requirements of the job, but they can't ask you anything about why you're out of the workforce. And so it prevents you from having to explain anything else that you might want to, that you might not want to explain or disclose. Now, if you have criminal convictions, it's a slightly different story. Uh, you could certainly offer that explanation, but obviously at some point they're going to see your criminal convictions, right? If they're going to run a background check. So then you got to be prepared to kind of, to provide an explanation about those criminal convictions. Uh, if you go on my website, I've got a couple of blog posts that actually walk you through exactly what to say. Um, or you can you can get in touch with me directly and I'll be happy to work with you on crafting your story so you can tell that story to an employer because it's really, really important. I hope that answers the question. That's interesting information because I've never heard anyone talk about answering a gap in resume with a health you know condition. And I didn't know that you could do that and they couldn't ask. So that's oh yeah, they can they can't ask you the damn thing. Now, it's, it's there's if you've been in active addiction for the last two or three years, you, they might not even ask the question because obviously because of the pandemic, there's a lot of people that have big job gaps on the resume. Right. 
but um, if if it's not recent, you know, like if you got a big job gap on your resume from you know 2016 to 2019, and now you're trying to look for work, somebody might ask you about it. But if it's in the last couple of years, they probably won't even ask you because so many people are out of work. Yeah, and I think job gaps are becoming more common because mm -hmm. people are find going to find themselves or you know there's a lot of people laid off or you know it's not it's not the red flag that it used to be um you know five or six years ago when i got sober in recovery it was a huge red flag but now that's not a big deal i'm happy to take any other questions if anybody yeah that's a great question <laughs> So also we'll reiterate, I don't charge uh, one penny for coaching people one-on-one. -on -one. And so if anybody wants to get in touch with me, reach out, we'll set an appointment uh, over Zoom or by phone and I'm happy to chat with you and see if I can help. And there's the website. Yes, there's a website. I'm gonna go through this uh, chat real quick and see if anybody else had questions. And I do think it's a good point to talk about is I know that there was, when I entered recovery, there, there was a time I didn't work for a while because I had to take care of myself and, you know, do a lot of meetings and self-care and like get to a point where I was okay to return to work. Like you said, it, it's stressful. Um, even just if it's a non-stressful job, just being up those hours after you know, especially depending on the substance, mine was opiates. So, you know, there's that year with, um, you know, your brain doesn't make the chemicals. You're pretty depressed. It's, mm -hmm. you know, you go back to work and you're going to miss a lot. You're going to, it's going to make you feel, or you're going to show up just not yourself. Sometimes you just have to take care of yourself but mm -hmm. to make it stable before you can try to do full time. Well, and that's why I say to just get any j damn job you can. And, you know, the other reason is that a lot of people relapse in the first year. You know, we don't we don't really like to talk about that, but that's the truth. And if you get a kind of a basic entry level job early in recovery, if you lose a job, it's not a big deal. You just go get another one. So, you know, that's why I say just get any damn job you can get. It doesn't matter. Um, I see Don. Um, mm, oh, Tiff. Uh yeah, but I'm sure nobody else on this uh, podcast has had issues with bad relationships. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I uh, so uh, there's a couple things. So I want to Don mentioned something in the chat about having issues, uh, you know, finding work now because of her criminal past. Um, I'm going to give you one piece of advice. Uh, find the smallest company that you can find in order to try to look for work. And there's a specific reason for that. So if you. Um, if you go to work, if you go to try to work for a big company and you think your criminal background is going to be an issue, big companies are almost always going to run background checks unless they're a true like second chance company. Right. Um, and even if they like you in a big company, they usually the HR person or the hiring manager usually doesn't have the flexibility to be able to uh, to be able to hire you anyway. If you go to a really small company, like under 20 people, usually the person you interview with is going to be a person that's going to be managing you. Uh, most of the time they don't run background checks. And even if they do run a background check, if they like you, they'll probably give you a shot. So if you're having trouble, if you haven't been looking at really small companies, um, I mean, the first, my better job was at a company that had 16 people. Um, they asked me about my background, but they didn't run a background check. Uh, so 
it, it is, that's usually what I advise people to do. Again, if you're having trouble, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, I could certainly talk about, uh, you know, going back to your exes, but uh, I want to, I'm going to ask you guys to step in first because I'm talking a bunch. <laughs> that's so funny. Man. I think we have to remember, and you said you're, you're a sucker for lost souls. We all are, you know, especially people that do nonprofit work, that give back. Like, we are very big into hoping the situation's different or people have changed or, or whatever. Um, so I completely get it. But you are important, too. And if you let yourself be sucked into a lost soul, sometimes we become lost souls with the other lost soul. And it and it doesn't end well. Um, and if they really have changed, they'll wait. They'll they'll be your friend, and they'll build that trust back and show you that they've changed. If somebody really cares, they will do the work to show you that they care. If they're not willing to, then no, or I'm sorry, it's just not a good time right now is is a good enough explanation right you know for me this was one of the biggest stumbling blocks i had when i was trying to find recovery uh you know i can remember the first time i went to treatment i was i was desperate man and i i worked my ass off in there i literally did packets that had nothing to do with what i had going on you know like i just wanted to learn every piece of information i possibly could and equip myself but even though I did all that, like they told me you have to get rid of the people, places and things, but they never told me that you need to replace them. First of all, mm -hmm. they never said you have to replace them with different people, places and things. So you're not left with a gaping void inside. So I was alone and I was closed off and isolated and I was having trouble finding a job. And I was looking at the phone numbers because I was lonely and I was wondering how everybody's doing. Right. And then another thing is that I told myself, like, I, I was a traitor. I was a, I was a hypocrite. I was, uh, you know, all this and that, because if I'm going to avoid them and what's funny is like, this was, this was in like 2007. So like later when I was 36, like almost a decade later, when I actually got recovery, somebody told me that having some distance between you and those people does not mean you love them any less. And that blew my mind. They said, it just means that you need to learn to love yourself before you can love them. Right. And then that gave me permission to let them go because I could not let myself let them go. I even in my use, you know, I was a man of principle, strong principles and values. Like I, I was always a very good friend, very loyal. You know, I cared a lot, so I didn't want to hurt anybody. And I felt really conflicted about that, giving up the people, you know. But guess what? It doesn't mean you love them any less. You just need to take a break, take a step back while you learn to love yourself. So that's my advice. Brett? <laughs> Uh, I, I can't speak on, on the exes. I've never gotten back with an ex, but 
I, I agree with what Jason was saying as far as the friendships and stuff. Like it was hard, definitely in the beginning, it was hard to not be around those people that I used with. It felt like, like, like Jason said, it felt like a betrayal. Like a, how dare I turn my back on these people? And, and I also kind of had that almost like superhero mentality where like, I need to go and show them like, this is what recovery looks like. Look at me. I got 30 days. Like you guys can do it too. Like I had that mentality, but most of the time, if I would put myself in those situations, I would end up relapsing. And then I wasn't really being that superhero that I thought I was going to be. So yeah, I agree. Like it's important to set boundaries. And like Ashley said, you know, if those are truly, you know, people that love you and, and, stuff like they'll understand you setting those boundaries and if you're meant to get back together or rekindle those friendships like it'll happen in the future but i agree i think you need to you need to work on yourself first before you get back in those kind of situations can i uh add one thing to that sure yeah. so uh i'm gonna quote the one of the greatest british poets ever dua lipa and her song <laughs> is one don't pick up the phone you know he's only calling because he's drunk and alone right all right so that song, okay. New Rules, it's about boundaries, right? Because to me, boundaries are boundaries. When people think about boundaries, they typically think about it as I'm keeping people out. Mm. I actually don't view it that way. I view it as me keeping myself in, right? So you can put a fence up on your yard to do two things. It can keep people from crossing through your yard. But like if you have small kids or you have something kind of valuable, it can protect what you value, right? And so by putting up boundaries, you're actually... Uh, you're actually telling yourself what lines that you can't cross to keep yourself safe. Amen. So mm. I, I think that you need to decide what is safe for you. And I'm going to give you an example. So I am very much like you. I love lost souls. Uh, add on top of that, I'm a people pleaser. Add on top of that, something that I saw, uh, I saw recently on Facebook, which totally fits me. My spirit animal must be a bull because when I see red flags, I run straight for them. Right. All those things. I, yeah. I still have contact with some of the people that I was on the street with, but I got boundaries around them. So yeah. that contact is, you know, we might be friends on Facebook, but we're not meeting off Facebook. If we're going to, if one of them says, Hey, I want to meet for coffee because I'm thinking about getting sober. Okay. We can do that. We can do that in a public place. I'm not meeting you at a crack house. I'm not meeting you at a meth house. We're going to do that in public somewhere where I know I'm safe. And I'm going to tell people that I'm going there. Right. Yeah. And so you need to decide what the boundaries are for you in order to keep yourself safe. Now, sometimes that boundary means that you just can't, you got to love somebody from a distance, kind of like Brett was talking about. Right. And, and kind of like Jason was talking about, you can love somebody just not up close. They don't have to be right here. They can be right yeah. here and that's okay. Um, and the last thing I'll say is don't mix up loyalty and love. Mm -hmm. loyalty and love are two completely different things right you can love somebody from a distance but that doesn't mean that you have to be so loyal to them that you're going to allow them to be an anchor dragging you down mm -hmm. um, what you need to do is establish your own strength so maybe you can be that person that can offer them a hand up when they're ready but until they're ready there ain't a damn thing you can do for them because i can pretty well tell you until you were ready there wasn't a damn thing anybody could do for you either yep so that's it you're a great speaker, Ty. I gotta say. No, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, you you got a really good way of describing things. You know, some of the stuff is a very straightforward, but you just frame it a little different than I've heard. But I love it. It's very awesome. You're good. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. I want to add one thing too that we didn't really talk about being 
the mental health person I want to bring it in, is that during active use, there's a lot of trauma that happens between groups. And when you're either in a relationship, romantic or friendship, so there's going to be these trauma bonds that are built and trauma bonds are really, really strong. Um, and it's also like when you're overcoming trauma to be put on you of that trauma, it's a trigger. So that's something to think about too, is that going around someone that you've gone through stuff with could be a trigger for use, or it could be bring that trauma back or make you feel like you're back in that situation again, which is not great for your mental health. You know, you raise a, you raise a really good point there, Ashley, because a lot of people, and I know I was guilty of this, uh, and I've seen it, I've seen it so many times where a lot of people feel responsible for these, for someone else. Mm -hmm. Like, and that is an anchor to Ty's point, you know, because it's like, they don't realize that they have no control. I remember when uh, my sponsor told me, it was like, you know, you're like playing God. Like you, do you really think you have that much power and influence over somebody else? You right. don't, mm -hmm. you know, and that's a hard pill to swallow. Uh, and it's a, and it's a hit to your pride when you realize that, you know, how little control you actually have in this life over anything pretty much, you know? So it's, that's a really valid point to bring up and to, you know, people to reflect on because, you know, are you able to discern what is yours to carry and what is not? Because you are not responsible for somebody else, somebody else's actions. You know, you, how could you possibly control that anyway? You know, and uh, that's, that's my two cents on that. But I wanted to lift that out because I thought, wow, that's a really good point. Well, the, the other thing that I will add to that is, you know, something that I only realized probably in the last four or five months, because um, I thought it had gone away, but it was still around was, um, you know, Ashley talked about um, trauma bonding, you know, mm -hmm. something else that comes from trauma bar bonding is survivor's guilt. Yeah. You know, like I, I walked around as an imposter for a long time, like, you know, why do I deserve to be sober? Why do you know, I in the last in the last year, I've heard about so many people that I was on the street with dying. Right. Because that's what happens when you're when you're on the street and you're doing a bunch of drugs. Right. It, unfortunately, it's just part of the story. So, you know, and every time that happened, I was like, wow, you know, I uh, number one reflected on how grateful I was. But I had this like this feeling of guilt for like leaving them behind and actually, uh, you know, being lucky enough to somewhat put my life back together. Right. And so right. You know, I'm not saying that's the case for you, Tiff, but it's I think it's something that might be interesting to think about. Um, because, you know, it is, it's, it's, it's something, you know, people that come back from, you know, the people that were in the service and they come back from the war zone, right. It's something they talk about their buddies died, their buddies didn't get out, but they did. And so they've got this, this guilt that they carry with them about whether they actually deserve to be alive or deserve to be sober or whatever. So maybe that's part of it for you as well. Right. I mean, and it could be wishing that it, you could trade places or it could literally be like, I, I don't know how many people I know that have passed away where I was like, I was so much worse for worse than they were. Right. Like they would always yeah. call me out and try to ch get me to chill, you know, cause they were worried about me. And then 
they they end up dying and i somehow end up you know getting through it and cleaning my act up it's just strange uh but that's yeah that was a very real thing for me as well ty well the, the thing that breaks my heart is i see so many people in recovery go running back straight into bad situations to save other people and i understand that they care and they've been there and they empathize but like the repeated trauma and the stuff that they're experiencing you can see it in the way they're reacting you can see it in they give up it's almost i don't want to say the opposite of addiction because i say that's connection but like it's almost like the sister of addiction they're like addicted to going back and bringing people out and and it takes just as much of a toll, if not more, than actual addiction did because you can't save people. Like you can help them when they're they're ready. You can go and give them resources. You can, but seeing seeing that hard stuff every day, people don't realize how hard that is on someone's mental health and happiness and hope. <laughs> and Sorry. you know, like Ty said, meet him at a a public place and tell people you're going like you don't have to go and pull them out of the back alley at the back side of you know wherever like if they want to meet you they will if they want a free meal and you're going to buy them lunch they'll meet you there like you can be safe and you can protect yourself too and that's important well, and there could be some, um, you know, obviously, you know, we alcoholics and addicts, we got all kinds of issues. There could be some codependence there as well, right? Um, and, you know, as my sponsor told me early on, you know, if you're focusing out here, then you don't have to focus in here, right? And this is, this is it's an inside job with outside contractors, right? And so it is, uh, it's this inside work often, uh, you know, I have found myself avoiding in the past by, you know, wor saying that I'm worried about this person and worrying about that person. Right. Yeah. You know, you can't, you can't pull them out of the burning building. <laughs> you know, I mean, typically your, your ass is going to get burned. If yeah. You're trying to do that. But if they reach their hand out the window, you can pull them out. Yeah. You, know, you can help them help themselves. Yeah. Like they say on the airlines, man, put your mask on first. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> And we will donate and give time to causes and do things for free. But the, we, you also can't like give every penny you have. So you can't pay your rent or pay for your stuff and you lose everything. And you're back there too. Like there's, there's definitely boundaries that have to be there. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense or sounds cruel, but. Mm. Oh, yeah. Sorry so for your loss, Christine. Man. And that sucks too, because, you know, when somebody wants help or if they're feeling remorse and their active use and, you know, like the things that when they get apologetic and they have the breakdowns and they want to change or they, you know, they mean it. I remember I used to mean everything from the bottom of my you know, heart, I meant it. And yet I would still do the things that I didn't want to do. You know, I would always, you know, that's where that uh, self-trust thing started getting really messed up. Cause I, 
you do that long enough back and forth and you just don't even know if you're coming or going and what's the damn point, right? Like in getting yeah. close to people or trying to do good at a job because I'm just going to F it up anyway, you know? So yeah. I had Christina, I want to tell you a story. I had someone I worked with and, you know, they told me that they were at 30 days and they felt better than they ever had. Um, and I was like, that's amazing. But I'm like, you know, at the beginning, it does feel great. It gets harder as time goes on. And if you ever struggle, my recommendation would be go somewhere and stay as long as you can. The longer you get, the better your chances are. I said 30 days is not really anything. I hate to say that, but you do feel great. You're eating good food. You're, you have a schedule. Um, and so he had some struggles and he listened to me and he went to a program that was 10 months long. And when he got out of that program within two weeks, he had died of an overdose. And I had so much guilt because I'm like, I told him to go 10 months. He listened to me. He listened when he had struggle and went and got help. Like, and he still didn't make it. But, you know, eventually I, I came to the conclusion that it wasn't my fault. And I, I did what I could for him, just like you did. And, and I'm sorry that you're struggling with that. Yeah. I think it's always good to give yourself credit where credit's due. You know, if you have done what's in your power to do for a person, uh, you should be able to take solace in that regardless of the outcome. Because mm -hmm. at least they had somebody that cared. You know, at least they had somebody that did. I was so pissed because he, he messaged me and called me like six months in. He had finished. It was only a six-month program. And because of COVID, they were allowing people to stay a little longer because it was hard to find housing, at, you know, sober livings and stuff because, you know, they weren't allowing new people in. And some place. it was just they were letting people stay. And he's like, and I'm like, yes, stay as long as they'll let you. And I'm like, and then don't come back here where you know people go somewhere else and he's like i'm gonna go to my mom's and you know she, i was like is she in a town that you ever lived and he said nope i'm like perfect and i'm like yeah family support you're away mm -hmm. he stayed for 10 months but then he came back here yeah and it was like i was so he did everything he like it sucks sometimes just well, I hate this disease. That's for sure. I hate this disease. And it's really tough not to, um, it's really tough to not get attached to the outcome. You know, it's kind of what, you know, Jason was talking about. Right. So, um, now I'm going to quote a book. Uh, I'm embarrassed to be quoting this book, so don't make fun of me, but <laughs> I read, I read eat, pray, love about 10 years ago. Okay. Uh, and in that book, there's a scene where the main character is talking to somebody about this situation. And he said, you know, all you can do in life is do the best you can. And then just know that the, that the outcome is none of your business. Mm. It's none of my business. So you do your best, you try to help people and it's kind of on them. We have to give people um, the, grace, the grace and the autonomy to, you know, be their own actors sometimes. And sometimes that means that they're going to fuck up hard just the same way we did. Um, I'm no, I am no different than anybody who has gone back out and overdosed. The only difference is when I went back out, I didn't die. That's literally the only difference. 
I'm no different than them. But um, I got to be prepared to kind of let that go because if I don't, it is, it's just too much for me to carry. I don't know if that makes me a self-centered person or what, but um, I just, I have just learned to let that stuff go really as an act of self-love, to be honest with yeah. you, and an act to keep my sanity. So, well, I think, I think to your point though, you know, one of the, one of the tenets of recovery when you first start out is, you know, to let things go. And, and when you experience that freedom that comes with that and mm. how, how much weight, I mean, I, I could physically feel the weight that lifted off when, when I started letting things go, uh, you know, that in and of itself, once you experience that and, and you're feeling that light, you just your self-awareness you know as it grows as you continue in recovery dude you can't tolerate it because it feels so heavy when before you didn't know because you were so used to chaos that you just normalized it right right yeah that's the thing same thing with drama i have a yeah. much different attitude about drama now than i ever had when i was out causing a bunch of it i used to love that shit yeah. love it that was my that was one of my other addictions i had to kick and now i can't stand it <laughs> I can't like I go to bed at like 8 30 so I can get up and go to the gym at five o'clock my life is very very simple these days and I you know I don't have any room in my life for anything that's going to cause me a bunch of drama I'll dip in for a little while if somebody brings me some drama and I feel like I can help but it's only for a little while you know you're gonna you're gonna get about 15 minutes with me you're not gonna get much more yeah for real <laughs> yeah it's just crazy how different my threshold for the shit that I'll take is because in some aspects it's more and in some aspects it's like almost non-existent like I got no patience for certain things mm -hmm. but yeah like I've also become more you know patient and I can give people grace in certain situations more than I you know used to be able to as well so it's it's just, I think, you know, when you get that perspective shift and you can start to discern, you know, what's 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 really important, what isn't, you know, and what is mine and what isn't, <laughs> you know, it's it's a freeing thing, man. It's it's beautiful. What's up, Tanya? Welcome. Yeah, I'm with you, Jason. I got I have all the patience and grace in the world for people that are trying to do the right thing. Yeah. If you if you ain't ready to do the right thing, you got you got you don't get a lot of my time. When you're ready, I'll be here. I'll be here, but I'm not going to chase you. And yeah. you're not going to get a ton of my energy. You're just not because there's no point. But if you're ready right. to do the right thing, I got your back. Big time. Same, dude. Same. Hmm. So where's what happened to Ashley? She must have lost her I guess her internet went out again. I don't know. She yeah. dropped off the stream completely. So this is now turning to a totally misogynist uh, podcast. Yes. <laughs> we got lots of ladies, though. I think it's there are lots all, of ladies on the line. I think it's all ladies almost. Is it? The, we got, I'm we got Billy in there. Yeah, we I'm wondering JR. if the Recovery Revolution comments are probably JR would be my yeah. guess. They're JR. Hi, JR. Well, I, I thank everybody who uh, I know you didn't show up to hear me talk, but I'm really glad that everybody came and they stayed um, You know, tonight. I hope that folks got something out of it. Um, you know, that is you know, really my greatest wish. I don't I know it seems like it, but I don't just talk because I like the sound of my voice. I talk because I hope that I can, you know, pass a little something along to other folks and, and maybe help a little bit. So absolutely. And, hey, you know, 
I, I too can relate with you, Ty, about the peaks and valleys and the missteps and, the, you know, the falling down and getting back up again, you know, but I, I just want to let you know, man, that I, I really have enjoyed getting to know you a little bit. I, I love the way you speak about this stuff and it, you, you really had some pretty unique uh, pointers and, and the fact that you found a way to give back in a, fresh and unique way you know i mean everybody needs to get back to work everybody needs to figure out how to do that right right and yep and and the fact that you're doing that stuff and it, that it's helped you sustain recovery and find value and meaning in it man like i'm proud of you dude you're thanks that. man i appreciate it i feel i am uh i am the luckiest guy in the world man i am yes, it, it could have been so different you know so yeah, so different and I can't tell you how many people I've had that have asked me like, Hey, where can I get a job with my record? Mm -hmm. I have a yeah. list. I have a list saved on my phone of, of places that I know hire people with criminal records, but I mean, you're my new resource. I'm going to send everybody to you. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please do. Yeah. Happy to help. Happy to help. I've got a, you know, folks go to my, they just send me a note uh, through my website. Then um, I, you know, I'll drop, I'm going to drop one more link in the chat. And this link is actually to my direct calendar. So people can actually go to my calendar and see when I have available and they can schedule time with me. So, um, nice. Awesome. Let's, uh, let's see. Where is that? Yeah, here it is. So I'm going to drop it in the private chat and you can feel free to share this with everybody. Yeah. Put that tech wizard, Brett Redbeard to work. <laughs> yeah. Do something. <laughs> Dude, your room looks like a brothel right now. <laughs> it's all red. <laughs> Can you change the color? What color do you want? Purple. You can change it to anything. No, keep yeah. it red. Don't put up. Don't put up. No, don't put on the black light. We don't know what's gonna happen. <laughs> I'm colorblind, so I assume that's purplish. Yeah. It, is. it looks very blue to me, but. What do I? And you are fancy, bro. Yeah. I try. Man. Yeah. I try. I got my messy bed behind me. I got off work and I got home and I like threw all my high vis and crap over here. And I was like, I should. Usually I try to make the bed and not have crap on it. So it looks like <laughs> I have a clean room. But You're just right going to get right back in the bed. Why bother making it? What's this messy? is. This is real life. I ain't even been home for three nights, so wow. I'm like, I'm, I'm just, just noticing it wasn't made. Now that you put it out, just so you know. <laughs> oh, now man. you can't unsee that. Dang it! Now, See if we're, mine's not if we're being either, fully so transparent, this is uh, this is our guest bedroom, and my mother-in-law's in town. I had to kick her out of here to do the show. Way <laughs> <laughs> to like, earn I, points. I gotta. Yes, I gotta it's your room slash my recording studio. That's right, Get right. out. Right. <laughs> Boundaries. That is well good stuff. That's the one thing about bad about Steamyard is like Zoom, you can put backgrounds and stuff like that. I mean, you can blur it on this, but it doesn't really have. You want even your, when I do blur it, does backgrounds? Dude, the mm -hmm. backgrounds always work like shit. I mean, you got to have like a really good computer for it to work good. Yeah, the backgrounds they, work good if you have a blank thing behind you. Like I have yeah. this wall, and I just turn my little thing so that it's the blank wall and it works amazing 
I don't, A, like to have blank walls at my house. And I'm certainly not going to buy a green screen to put behind me. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if I was, I guess, maybe if I was like, uh, no. You know what? No. <laughs> there is no if. I'm not doing that. <laughs> this is me. I got recovery shit on my walls like Brett. So that's cool. <laughs> I have two paintings on the wall in here both done by people in recovery that are no longer here. And then oh. the rest are blank walls. So I'm hoping I'm not going to fill them, but. So it, if I'm going to get you presents, then I should send you art for your wall. I have all these certificates. Like they send, send you like certificates for your certifications and all that stuff. And they're all framed. I just haven't hung them. Okay. That but that's not part. hard. That's my no. answer is that I probably wouldn't send me stuff for my wallet. If you that want your could be, if you want to just look super smart, Ashley, you could just hang that shit. You need up, a bookshelf. No, no I don't want to hang it. Actually. I don't want to spend time hanging crap. I, I think I think we should ask all the viewers to send you a, a, a Thanksgiving hand turkey. Like yes. Yes. every single one should. Everybody should send you one. And then the next time you have the pod, they better be up. In my office, there's stuff my kids made, like ones on a trash bag because they use that as wrapping paper one time. Another thing is like a jar of reasons. I love you. That's like just a jar with like these paper things with, that they put reasons. It looks kind of ghetto, but it's meaningful. So. <laughs> it's so, <laughs> so sweet. I, <laughs> I love it. Don't let them see you throw it away, Ashley. Oh, I don't. Dude, she'll <laughs> have it forever, dude. You, oh, okay. Moms, dude. Moms. Well, bro. yeah. That's, when that's my true. mom, my mom just passed away last September, dude. And then when mm -hmm. we went through her house, we, we, we had to go through everything and find the stuff that was worth keeping and what needed to get thrown away and blah, blah, blah. Dude, we were finding like school assignments from like kindergarten and up <laughs> like wow. crazy stuff. My sister, when she was like nine, wrote this letter to my mom and it was like an angry letter and it, <laughs> we were reading it in the garage just cracking up right. i think i posted a picture of it on facebook at the time <laughs> it was so funny dude it was like what the hell she kept everything dude wow moms are like that they don't play hmm i'm sorry tiff yeah it's hard mm-hmm I'm going to have to let you guys go because my computer, for some reason, is not charging. And it's going to die again momentarily. I don't know what the deal is. Amateur. I have to charge her. <laughs> I, I don't know. So I'm, I'm struggling. My internet's struggling today. There's obviously something I need to be doing. It's a sign. So right. Yeah. Have the a good night. Real, yo. So yeah. I just want to let you guys know. Have a good night. And I'm, I'll see, see you actually. later. Thanks for being here, Ty. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate Love you. it. Love you. Bye, Ashley. Thanks for coming on. See, Pamela has self-control. <laughs> right. Well, she didn't, say, she didn't say how big the box was. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like one of those big ones for a party where somebody jumps yeah, out of it. Yeah. That's right. I only had one glass of wine. Uh, as big as a bottle. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, man, that's funny. So what then? Early close tonight? Sure. 
Sure. That's what you guys want to do? Yeah, well, you know, once Ashley's gone, it's not a party anymore. So. That's right. Man, it breaks my damn heart. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here, guys. Thank you so much. Dude, this has been, it, it's been a blast. You were an Thanks awesome guest, on, man. man. And I nice. really hope I really hope you get a lot of uh people reaching out, dude, because it might it might not seem like we have a lot of viewers when you're on the live stream because it's not that much, <laughs> but we get a lot of views after we really do. So mm-hmm. I mean, I hope that people do hit you up and you know get some advice get some pointers because you had a lot of really great things to say and i'm sure that was just scratching the surface i mean you could probably talk all night about that stuff you know yeah i'm super passionate about this stuff so yeah i mean i i hope so too i hope people reach out genuinely so uh, you know there's the website again on the screen recoveryandwork.org yep you'll see my big fat face on there so yeah, <laughs> you'll know where you're in the right place Hell yeah. <laughs> shiny head that's right that's right i am very dewy today i don't know what the hell's going on but we'll take it you guys didn't see you didn't send your uh, hair and makeup person out here to take care of me so apparently i dropped the ball yeah, we're, not, <laughs> we're not quite to that level just yet we'll talk to jr yeah he needs to bring his rock star status to that's the show. right <laughs> Cool. Well, shall right. we wrap up? Let's yeah. do it. Let's do it. All right. Well, thank you for everybody that tuned in tonight. If you are watching us on YouTube, please be sure to like and subscribe to the channel. Turn on your notifications so you know when we go live, which is pretty much every Thursday. I think the only time we haven't done a Thursday was Thanksgiving. So it's a pretty good chance you're going to find us here live on a Thursday night. Hey, Jason, don't you have your own podcast? Yeah, it's the Way Out Podcast. We have 320 episodes to date. It's been around since 2014. Uh, We share powerful recovery stories, and we unpack recovery power topics in some topic episodes. We also have a playlist that's only on Spotify. It's called the Way Out Playlist, and it's a curated list by all of our amazing guests, of songs that symbolize recovery to them so check it out we're on all platforms noise noise yeah and then i do my own solo show bite-sized chunks sorry no charles had a better uh what was it that charles said last week when i was off he, he used something because you said bite-sized and then he said like morsels or something yes morsels <laughs> morsels of recovery i do like 30 minute episodes every week so check that out very palatable uh, uh i'm trying to remember I, you said your number now i'm trying to remember i think i'm at like 138 39 i don't know somewhere in that ballpark but yeah every wednesday i drop a new episode so uh find that wherever you find your podcast and then we also release the live stream in audio form as a podcast as well so if you guys want to listen to us in your ears maybe you're driving commuting whatever you can't watch the actual stream you can listen to the audio just search for recovery revolution live and you'll see that little uh, actually i don't think it's that logo anymore i think we did the one with the three of our faces on it but it's on your podcast players so look for that as well and uh we will see you guys next week thank you again ty for coming on tonight i'm gonna throw that website up again on the screen recoveryandwork.org and we'll have the uh his email address and stuff in the 
description on the podcast and it'll be on Facebook and YouTube and all that. So if you're looking for the actual email address and stuff, that'll be there as well. So thank you again, Ty, for coming on. We appreciate you. And uh, remember, guys, progress, not perfection. Not perfection. Yep. Thank you guys so much. Absolutely, man. Take Y'all care, have a brother. good night. You too. Have a great night. Night.